bells. You find bells in our first high schools. And what were they doing inside the schools? Well, they were signaling students to go from boop, English, to boop, history, to boop, math. Learn a little, move a little, learn a little, move a little, just like oh, the Model T and mass production. Hello, and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? Why do I do this voice? I don't know. It seems like rabbits go with that voice. Welcome to the podcast. This is the one aimed at people who have a sense of dislocation. On this pod, as you know, it's heavy things done lightly. We'll use a little theology, a little history, philosophy, deeply immersive experiences in foreign cultures to figure out what is a thing? What is this thing we're doing? Where are we? And what is today is what is an education? So come with me beyond the rhetorical rabbits being produced like crazy in the internet of web world thing place. And let's dig down. So join me. John Hears, and our crew of First Things Foundation field directors as we wonder aloud. Why are we talking about rabbits? This is episode 24. This is, what's a new world education? All right, I'll just start with a two-second story. I was teaching in Haiti, where I lived with my family. Doing, how should we say, development work. You could call it missionary work. But we were just trying to be of some use to a beautiful little community in Port-au-Prince in Haiti. And doing that work with this little Orthodox church of basically nine people, well, we decided we'd start a school. The school was in the church, and there were four chalkboards, big ones, that we put up like a little partition of almost in the shape of a cross to create four little classrooms. I taught geography in one of the rooms, but just over my shoulder and over the chalkboard, Amboise taught math. And one day while I was teaching geography and asking a lot of questions that had opinions attached to them, in other words, what do you think questions, and getting the answer, I don't know, over and over again. We can talk about why that is. Amboise was teaching math, and I think with a belt, because it sounded really loud. Loud in the way you might hear on a kid who can't get the right answer. And that was happening. And that does happen, and that's old school. But is it? Just to finish the story, when I heard that sound of a kid being smacked because he couldn't get the right answer, I peeked my head over the chalkboard, and that was happening. And I said, Amboise, maybe we could talk about this method. And we had a little discussion, and then he kind of pulled me in his side, and he said, hey, why don't you just stick to what you're doing? Because whatever it is you're doing, it's very American. We don't do things like that here. And it was very much a moment of confusion for me because I was in Haiti. I wasn't in America. My questions sucked. None of the kids were learning anything about geography. I kept trying to get them to tell me about their thoughts 
And they kept trying to get me to ask a factual question. And Amboise kept using the belt. It was confusing. And it made me think, is there something deeper than the curriculum? Is there some sort of ethos? Is there something that we swim in when we send our kids to school that goes far beyond what we say we do on paper? Is there something epistemological that we need to investigate about education? And that is this podcast. Because I thought about it a lot. Because I did not do a good job of teaching those kids who wanted rote learning, who wanted factual answers. But I'm not sure, so sure Amboise did a great job either. What is education? Well, epistemology is where I want to start. Basically, when we talk in, you know, we walk into a school, when we talk about what a school is, we're really talking about being subjected to a way of knowing. And that way of knowing usually will determine what we learn. It's the same for most things, right? When you join a family as an infant, you're brought up in their way of being. You become a smith or a jones or a hears. When you join Islam, you become a Muslim. You become one who submits. You imbibe. So knowing has something to do with imbibing, taking in, taking things in, almost like oxygen. So like I think about this metaphor, I'll use it. The way of knowing is like water to a fish. What we learn, the facts, well, I think they're more like little bits of food thrown in by the fish keeper into the little pond or into the into the uh, water tank where the fish is. We, we throw little bits of food in there and it's snapped up by the fish. I think that's more like curriculum. And that food can change, but the water, the actual water the fish is swimming in, well, that's life. But few of us ever think of the water we swim in. So epistemology tends to elude us. We don't really think about it. I'm going to try to think about it because there's something really important about it when it comes to schools. And all of you out there have either attended one or sent your kids to one. And when you do this, you're not trained to think about the water. So I'm going to use some history to try to elucidate water or the environment in which Western education, new and old, right, in which fish swim in which students swim. So let's do it, shall we? Let's go back to the Greco-Roman pagan world. That's the world before Christ, back around the time of Buddha in the East, back around the 400s, the 5th century BC. And let's look at Greeks who are trying to do this democracy thing, really for the first time. And let's look at a guy named Socrates, who was really with his buddies, they were investigating this thing we call education. So during what we now typically call the golden age of Athens, education is a thing we might recognize today and the new world was being formed. The Greek philosophers, the kind of guys I've just mentioned, Plato, Aristotle, the Roman inheritors, people like Cato the Elder, 
and Quintilian, all of these Greco-Roman thinkers, they aim to educate. I'm using that word. I don't know that they would have. Educate those around them. From the beginning, these men understood education to be something like a moral endeavor. But stop, just for a minute. Moral. That creates all sorts of emotions in people today. Morality, school. How should we hear this, right, in terms of that period we're we're looking at now, right, the Greco-Roman period? I think we should hear it as tied to the notion of the good. The water that students of Plato and Aristotle began to swim in, I think it can really be understood not as H2O in the metaphor, but as B too low. I think there was one part beauty, one part love, and two parts good, or the pursuit of the good life. That's the way Plato and the people who taught in his academy Right, the first sort of university of its time. That's the way they thought. Let's find out about beauty, love, and good life. So for these teachers, their academy would be the place where students pursued the truth about beauty, love, and the good life. And for them, you could kind of call that moral education. That was the goal of young men entering the academy. And it was men. Every now and then you get a woman. So... They went there to learn what it is to be good. And while the hard sciences were surely part of the ancient curriculum, math, obviously, they weren't like on the side. They weren't a thing to be studied on their own or for their own sake. Math was a way into the good life. Geometry was a way to unearth the good life. Right? Science, biology was a way to the truth about who we are. The hard sciences were things students did to help them answer the big question, what is the good life? The journey was that. And hardly anybody went on the journey (laughs) with a very restricted student body. The Academy of Plato, it catered to upper class people. It allowed a few women from time to time, as I said, but mostly this was a place for free men of land-owning status And it was for them there to discuss the good life. For most Greeks at the time, education was simply learning what your parents and then your master craftsmen might teach you. The apprentice program. With the death and resurrection of Christ and all the tumult in the Middle East, the changing of the Roman Empire, encroaching Germanic culture, we don't have to get into the whole fall of the Roman Empire, but And then the subsequent Christianization of the Roman Empire, things began to change in Europe. Monastic communities, this is like 150 years after Christ, monastic communities quickly became places where the pursuit of the good, or quote, as we would think of it, education, well, that pursuit was made in the monastery. For a thousand years, starting with St. Anthony, the desert dweller of Egypt, men and women of the Mediterranean went off in large numbers to monasteries, to pray. And prayer was effectively the way in to understanding what the good life is. And for Christians, the answer to the good life just became Christ. Christ became the good in the, in the classical Greek philosophical 
manner. Christ became the answer. So this monastery education, though radically different from the highly discursive reasoning of the Greek academies, right, because those cats are just praying all the time, but that monastery education, it did retain this fundamental attentiveness to the good life. Morality remained the point of education, though now one could rightly describe the point of education as some sort of union between fallen man and the God of creation. It could be said, as St. Basil did in the 4th century, God became man so that man could become like God. The good life became acquiring Christ. The good life became purification, illumination, and deification. This is a process toward becoming like God. That was the high good bar. It was the bar you were meant to meet when you entered into this, quote, education. And so it would go. I don't know, until like the 12th century. So you get like, you know, 700, 800 years of this monastic way of being in terms of education. Well, in the 12th century, in the 1100s, really even in the 1000s, the Christian West began a series of reforms under a guy named Pope Gregory VII, who in 1079, he set out to regulate and reconstitute the laws associated with training clergy. He made an attempt to reform the clergy, and he decreed right, a type of regulation on monastic and cathedral schools at the time. This is in Western Europe. And that decree led to the establishment of Europe's first universities. Bologna in Italy in 1088 was the first, Oxford in England, 1096, the second, and then the Sorbonne, the University of Paris in 1150 AD. Those are the first three universities in the world, at least in the way we think about them. So Pope Gregory's reforms, coupled with later reforms by a guy named Thomas Aquinas, we've talked about him on here, but he's a saint now in the Catholic Church who set out to rationalize Christian theology. We'll just sort of replace some of the mystical, confusing, non-rational theology with a more standardized approach. Well, he tried to actually inject Aristotelian philosophy into the philosophy or into the theology of the West. Well, his work combined with Gregory's reforms led to a catechetical curriculum, catechism, which began to replace the cycle of prayer found in the old desert dweller-style monasteries. Things were beginning to change in the West. But what kind of water did these new student fishies swim in? Were they still going to school, these new universities? Were they still going to school, these new cathedral schools, right, with these new reforms? Were those schools still after the good life? Were they still moral in their way of being? History says for sure the answer is yes. It's pretty clear that epistemologically, the new universities still set out to learn about God in order to learn about the good life. And then all kinds of, you know what, hit the fan. Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of doo-doo hit the fan. Because, starting in the 1400s, but really the 1500s, dudes started to protest a lot. A lot of dudes started to, well, start their own churches. 
They tried to fix what they saw as papal hubris and all kinds of bad teachings, and they, well, got in there and, well, they started reforming the Catholic Church. We know them as Protestant reformers. So they kind of kicked off a pretty rough period in history, 150 years of warfare. You can't really blame it on the reformers, but you can definitely blame it on the princes and the kings who all wanted a piece of their what they were selling because it gave them autonomy and a chance to right, rule in their own right and not rule as per under the pope or the pope's kings. But just to keep things simple, the Protestant reformers also began to produce their own universities. And each one got affiliated, right, with a type of ligament, a type of religion, a type of worldview. So you get Methodist universities, Presbyterian universities, Anglican universities. Heck, even the first North American universities, you see an attachment to a Protestant, right? A reformed way of seeing Christianity, Harvard University. Harvard University was started as a way to train men to be pastors in the congregational and Unitarian traditions. Harvard University was a place to go to learn about God. Every university that dates back to the 1600s in the United States was that, Yale, Brown. You see, right in and among the moving parts of the machinations we know on this podcast as the Enlightenment, the move toward the new world, even then, education at the university level, there really wasn't a high school at this point. But even then, 15, 1600s, education was still a God thing. Even in those shiny, newfangled Protestant universities like Harvard, there remained a serious and unbridled attempt to study God. Throw an extra O in there, two O's, and call it good. The good life. That thing was still alive. But you know the story. God isn't going to last forever at Harvard. Princeton isn't going to remain a college dedicated to the training of Presbyterian preachers. Nope. The new world was coming, and you could find it pretty easily in the part of the new world we call America. America. The first truly secular university, probably in the world, was founded in the United States by a guy named Benjamin Franklin. Originally named the Academy and Charitable School of the Province of Pennsylvania. It's a little clunky, Ben. It was renamed the University of Pennsylvania in 1779. That's an upgrade over the Academy and Charitable School of the Province of Pennsylvania. So Franklin School, uh, he called it dedicated to the liberal arts. Students no longer read solely from the Christian tradition as professors aimed to Balance, that was one of the keys to this new school, balance competing perspectives by providing the antithesis, the antithesis of any philosophical thesis. This was one of the aims of the University of Pennsylvania. So you see that? That's scientific in nature. 
a religious dimension was no longer required on exams and student papers at UPenn. The same could be said of the University of Virginia. That was the school founded upon the dogma, the ecumenist dogma of the Masonic Temple and championed by Thomas Jefferson. That was his school. The University of Virginia was, like Ben Franklin's University of Pennsylvania, an attempt to balance the religious inclination. Education was changing and had come a long way with these two universities. It was being secularized. Still, every university in every corner of the globe remained in some way dedicated to the proposition that life had a spiritual dimension and that education must be dedicated to the pursuit of the good moral life. Even University of Virginia, University of Pennsylvania, still highly indebted to the idea that, hey, we have to have kids who are after the good life. Jefferson says this clearly again and again, but, I mean, he did have on his desk the Bible he cut up and took out all the miracle parts. Check that out. It's in our pod notes. Very interesting. But, yeah, he wasn't exactly a Christian, but Jefferson believed in the philosophical pursuit of the good life, just like any good New World deist believes that there is a good, universities were keeping the good parts of the good life, but they kind of shot God out into space. Like, because that's what deism is, right? God is out there, but doesn't participate. He's the first mover, but he's not moving much after that. He's like the watchmaker. We talked about it on this show, right? He wound up the watch and now we're all in it. So the universities kept the good part, just sort of started to get rid of the God part. But even in a stripped down, simple philosophical pursuit of something called good, even in the stripped down version, it couldn't hold. After the American Civil War and during the final settlement of North America by European settlers of all stripes, education took on the character of the American merchant. Yeah. Yep. It took on the character of its new creators, the oligarchs of the American Gilded Age. Education became the millstone upon which the robber barons of rail, power, coal, steel, telecommunications, it was the millstone, education was, where the robber barons would grind out a workforce. Entire curricula were designed to pound out cultural differences and homogenize all these many myriad immigrant experiences. All these people coming. We need curriculum to homogenize them. History books told the same stories from cover to cover for the first time. From sea to shining sea, everyone learned the same stories. Who's the beanstalk guy? No, not the beanstalk guy. Johnny Appleseed, one of the first stories told in American history books. Bells. You find bells in our first high schools, right? And what were they doing inside the schools? Well, they were signaling students to go from boop, English to boop, history to boop, math, 
Learn a little, move a little, learn a little, move a little, just like, oh, the Model T and mass production. Students were being outfitted with the latest in educational design. High schools turned out highly regimented students strictly geared for a stripped-down workplace. Right, you can hear the captains of industry designing their workforce. I want some basic reading, give them some basic writing, shape it up, and inject some pure reason into my workers, please. I need them to be, hmm, how should we say? I need to be able to count on them to walk in a straight line and do what's necessary. Give me modern man. Strip it down. Basic reading. Basic writing. Do you like my voice? This is my old school voice. This is my, hey, we're going to get a soda pop voice. (laughs) I can hear them. Can't you hear them? Basic reading. Basic writing. More and more young people went to school every year, man. Between 1890 and 1910, The literacy rate in the United States, it rose from 40% to 70%. That's in 20 years, a 30% increase. By 1970, 60% of all high school-age children attended school. That was up from 2% in 1901. Today, the number is 85%. Boil it down, and what you see is the United States, between the American Civil War and World War II underwent a massive education revolution. Right, It created a workforce of blue-collar workers unrivaled anywhere in the world. But what was the epistemological water these new modern students swam in? How did they know what they knew? How did they learn what they learned? What was the way of being? What were they imbibing? What was their pursuit? Was it still the good life? Hashtag no. No. The goal was not the good life. The goal was now to produce product. And more importantly, to produce product-making people. And on the flip side, very important to remember this, the goal was to produce people who could consume products. In 1902, Rockefeller, J.D. Rockefeller, donated the first $1 million to create something he called the General Education Board. That is a private organization at the time. His family then went on to donate more than $182 million over the next 40 years. That's nearly $3 billion worth of donations to the General Education Board in the world. What is that? Well, That's the organization that created what we know today as public school education. And guess what? Guess what doesn't happen anymore in public schools? Mandatory theological studies. That doesn't happen anymore. History curricula aimed at asking the question, what is the good life? That doesn't happen anymore. Courses where students sit around and ask, what is moral? That doesn't happen anymore. Or if it does, it happens by with some like rogue teacher that's always on the verge of being fired. Hey, I, I, I think that was me. Now, see, the waters of education in which our students are now swimming are fundamentally different than they were before the Enlightenment. And really, even fundamentally different than since like your great-grandmother went to school. 
Today, the point of education is pretty clear. It is, it is to do stuff that's stuffy and learn stuff. The point of education today is filled with the water is swimming and there are things in it. What? What is the point of education today? It's hilarious if you think about it. I think if you really think about it and go into it, I think you got to come out with it. It's F2O. I think our students are swimming in something called F2O. One part fun. It's got to be fun. Two parts opportunity. Or in other words, a job. A job. I think today's schooling, at least in the minds of the students and most of their parents, is my kid's going to get a job. And that's exactly what Rockefeller wanted you to think about when you went to his schools. You are being prepared for a job. He did it. His project to get us to think of education as a job maker worked. He was good at his job. Do I just sound... I feel crazy a little bit but i am i crazy isn't isn't school just now what we do so that people who have resources will give us a job isn't that just it i mean are we even thinking about the good life at any point during our schooling in america i mean do we do we want to and here's the really weird part the new world important people who have all the jobs to offer today, the new, quote, Rockefellers, well, they don't even really want to hire most people who go to Rockefellers' public schools. I think that's a different podcast, but, I mean, I think our schools are going to be re-engineered now, right, for the new captains of industry. That's another, let's do a different pod on that. But, man, I feel like I sound like a jerk, which makes sense actually because i went to school in america and if we don't teach anything else in our schools we definitely teach skepticism we definitely teach people to doubt we teach the very thing you hear right now in my voice and why because that's the sound of the new world it's the sound of science We're taught to question everything because that is exactly the method by which we will find, wait, the truth. A scientist questions everything. And weirdly, so do us graduates of the scientific schools. But it's weird because we are taught to question everything so we can find the truth. And there it is again. It didn't go away. Truth and the good life. It just shape-shifted. It shape-shifted from good life to a good method. It shape-shifted from a man, Christ, to a method. From the pursuit of the good life to the pursuit of good stuff. And how do you get the good stuff? You got to practice the right method. The scientific method. Weird. 
And so I think I should end this way. The rabbits? Why are we talking about rabbits? The rabbits in today's pod are the little curriculum food bits that food administrators drop into the water in the tank where the students swim. Chew it up. I mean, it's kind of important. We can always change that diet, you know. It's kind of important what food is being taught. But I mean, has anyone ever thought, I wonder if this is a good fish food I'm putting in? I mean, it's just fish food, man. I mean, you can dig through it and figure out what your curriculum says at the high school where you send your kid or at college. But the real important question all of us should be asking is, what is the epistemological principle that you send your kids to or you attend? What's the principle with which your school board operates? Or put just really simply, what is the good your school is pursuing? Because they are. If you figure that out, you'll figure out all you need to know about the little food bits called curriculum. You'll figure out that easily. The hard part is, what is the good? Right? When you find that out, you just know that's what education is. It always will be. Because there's always an imperative in the human experience to search out the good. The question is just, what is it? And of course, that's the granddaddy of all the big questions. What is good? What is true? I think I can recall a certain Roman Asking a certain Jew this question. The guy who got crucified. Yeah, it's a hot question. But it all goes back to that word religion and the term lig that I use on this pod. The ligaments that hold together a worldview. It always goes back there. And we have to wrestle with that to figure out what education is. So, hmm, we're done. Jenny's Gaggy Marjos, thanks for listening. That means to you the victory. It's often said at the KP table in Georgia. That's our pod today. That's the Georgian Republic, by the way. That's our pod today. Stay safe out there. COVID's very interesting. Should we do a pod on that? I think we should. Could get a little dicey. Thanks for coming on our pod, for coming and listening today. Watar is produced by Andrew Schwark, Daniel Paternos. And our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation. That's our nonprofit. And that's a nonprofit that sends people to live and work in some of the world's most, how should we say, forgotten and impoverished places. We immerse there long term and we offer ourselves full time as consultants and facilitators on local people's local projects, local people's local businesses. We just try to help them build up their stuff. Right, We work on their vision of a better life. So share Watar. Hit us up with a solid review on iTunes. Come on, do that. We could pause and do it. Get your podcasts and hit subscribe because your love for us allows us to love and serve others. So nakvam dis, hasta luego, kambufo, and peace out.